Welcome to Beyond the Knife, a bariatric surgery podcast from Perth Obesity Solutions. Join Dr. Siva Sundarajan, one of Perth's leading weight loss surgeons, and his team as we explore all aspects of your weight loss journey from where to start to maintaining your long-term success. You have had your surgery, what's next? Well, I'm Evelyn Timms from Magic Studios and we're here with Dr. Siva to discuss just that. How are you going, Dr. Siva? I'm very well, thank you. (laughs) Good to hear. Um, So I imagine there is a lot of uh, steps to be aware of post-surgery that uh, is of interest to discuss. Hmm. So after your surgery, uh, your recovery can almost be divided into two parts. First is the hospital phase where you've had your operation and you've woken up in recovery and you're going to the ward and you can expect to spend two or three days in hospital depending on the procedure you've had and any complications and what your surgeon's preferences are. And then after that, uh, you go home. So are there any (laughs) sort of symptoms to be aware of during the hospital phase, let's say. Yeah. So uh, expect pain. Uh, oh. <laughs> well, let's let's not sugarcoat that. Yeah. It, it is it is not a, a simple operation. It mm. is a major operation you've had. So you will be in some degree of discomfort, but you should not be bedridden and we've got enough painkillers to keep you comfortable and you should be able to get up out of bed, sit out, walk around, visit the nursing staff. Mm. So you should be comfortable enough to do simple things. You should not be in agony. Okay. Nausea is almost universal. Almost everyone feels like they're going to throw up, but actual vomiting is rare. So why is that nausea something that comes up? Um, the nausea comes up because for all these procedures, the residual stomach volume is very small. And if you think about it, you make about a litre and a half of saliva plus whatever you're drinking. And all that has to fit in that tiny space. And so when that pouch in a bypass or or the gastric sleeve gets stretched out, you feel sick. Mm. And this is one of your body's way of telling you you've had too much or enough and don't put anything else in, otherwise it'll come out. So, but the nausea is, is common. Actual vomiting is rare. Gotcha. The other thing that you might experience is tiredness, it almost Guaranteed in the first 24 hours, you're going to feel pretty bombed out from the anesthetic and painkillers. And And the surgery. Yeah, you just want to rest. So that's understandable, but uh, I certainly would encourage the patients the the second day, so the the day after the operation, to get up and do things incrementally. So you should take frequent rests, but do bits of activity in between. So you get up, sit out of bed, have a bit of a read. If you get tired, hop back into bed and go to the toilet. So do simple things like that. Probably part of staying motivational as well. Yeah, correct. So it's to, it's to set you up to go home. It's the path to recovery. The other thing that you can expect to have is various tubes coming out of you. So you would almost certainly have uh, intravenous lines to give you medications, fluid, and um, occasionally... You might have a urine catheter or a drain that's put into the surgical site to to remove all that fluid that we put in or wash wash fluid, we call it. Um, So you might have those various tubes coming out of you. But all these things get slowly removed over the course of two or three days. And you should expect to be home 
probably about day three after your surgery. And I'm assuming that's where the second phase comes in that you discussed? That's right. That's right. So once you're home, then the real challenge for you begins because there's nobody to bring you your food uh, or painkillers and not everything is within reach. So you're in a more familiar surrounding your home, Mm. but you may have to do more things for yourself. And I'm sure that's where the support network that's becomes right. really important. That's correct. That's why before the surgery, which we spoke about in the last episode, you had to you have to set yourself up. You have to get your support network, your family, friends organized so somebody can help you with you know, cooking, cleaning, shopping. And they don't need to wait on you, but having them there certainly helps with your recovery. And in the first couple of weeks, uh, you probably will not be able to go to work. Uh, or drive, I assume, as well. That's right. And and even for uh, legal purposes, if you've had a major operation, uh, you sh- really shouldn't be driving because you're going to put yourself and other people at risk. So in the first week, don't drive. And the easiest way for you to work out whether you're ready to drive is to start the car in your driveway, let it roll forward. If you step on the brake, like an emergency brake, and it hurts, mm. you're not ready. That's a good key tip. Yeah. You, you will not damage anything by doing that. It's more to make sure that you are ready to drive. And in the first couple of weeks um, or after the first couple of weeks, you will be seeing your surgeon again for a post-operative review where we can look at the wounds, make sure they're healing as expected and work out uh, and, and see if you have any, any issues with your diet. So the dietitian will also be seeing you in that time frame. And... The uh, other main thing is don't check your weight. (laughs) I know it's going to be very hard to do. We're going to just keep saying that. Don't check your weight. (laughs) Yes. It will come off. It will happen. Mm. But the first few weeks, you should focus on recovering from the operation and and getting yourself ready for the next phase, which is going to be your rehabilitation part. So definitely don't check it. So I imagine you could expect a good a good month of recovery really in this scenario. It, it can be in some people. It might take about four weeks before you get to about 100% of your activity. So getting back into things like uh, contact sports and you know, your, your normal work duties might take quite a few weeks. So when you say months later, so what do you mean when you say months later? When I say months later, um, what I mean is uh, if you, once you've had your surgery, in the first few weeks, you're going to recover from the operations. You might feel tired. You might have some pain. You have to get used to your new diet because you will not be able to guzzle fluid. You will throw up, guaranteed. So all that will take some time to get used to. And your diet and exercise regime has to progressively increase. So you will follow a, a prescribed diet regime uh, that the dietitian will help you with. So the first couple of weeks, you'll be on uh, what we call thin fluids. So that's anything that's a, a coffee tea type consistency. And then you're going to be on a puree diet for a couple of weeks. So uh, more like a thick pumpkin soup. So whatever you can have with a, a tablespoon will be, be pureed diet. And uh, the week five, you'll be on soft food or baby food. <laughs> so you're going to be on mashed potatoes. and <laughs> I do love my purees. <laughs> my, yep. Scrambled eggs, those kind of food that goes down easily. Uh, you would be on that in week five. In week six, you should be back on a normal diet. And 
in the first uh, instance, it would be advisable to avoid chunks of meat. Like, and certain types of meat like beef, pork, and lamb can be more chunky and fibrous, and you might struggle getting it down. So I would advise sticking to chicken or fish for your protein. And mincemeat is also good. And wait a couple of months before you progress to things like steak. So as part, I assume you'd be getting regular nutritional assessments throughout the course after your surgery. Would this be something that would be six months after, 12 months after? So the nutritional assessment is in two parts. One, the dietitian follow-up that happens regularly. And she, uh, my dietitian, Gemma, she will see you several times during your first year uh, after your surgery. And she will help you with whatever issues you have in terms of your diet. And from my part, I will check uh, your blood tests at six months and at 12 months. So after about six months, your body will achieve a steady state. And in that time frame, uh, if you're going to become deficient in, say, iron or, or vitamin D, uh, it will re reveal itself. And then we may have to adjust your supplements accordingly. You will be on uh, multivitamin supplements, and occasionally you may have to add on extra supplements depending on what you become deficient in. So it sounds like there's quite a lot of follow-up care that occurs. It is, and follow-up is really essential. It uh, serves several purposes. One, it keeps um, you accountable. And uh, I actually had a patient who did not want to come and see me because he had put on some weight and he was too embarrassed. Um, but uh, Yeah, that'd be a bit heartbreaking, I'm sure. But it is important they come back so that we can help them in the best possible way and combat that weight regain. And part of that's the mental health. Correct. And also the follow-up uh, gives people encouragement and also it helps us uh, troubleshoot any problems they might have. That might be dietary, that might be physical, uh, but we can help them with that. And, and that's why the follow-up is essential. So you mentioned physical, I assume you mean exercise and things like that. Correct. So for exercise, um, that also has to go up in a stepwise fashion. In the first couple of weeks after surgery, I doubt that you're going to want to hit the gym. Um, <laughs> I so, don't normally, so. <laughs> so a gentle aerobic exercise is good. Um, you can go for brisk walks uh, where you get a little bit out of puff. You mean things like swimming as well? Swimming, I would uh, delay until week three or four until the skin seals. So I would advise patients not to swim uh, either in the pool or go for surf or have a have a bath. Showers are fine, but uh, anything that involves soaking the skin can uh, compromise the wound healing. So I would advise uh, people to delay water sports or water activities for a good three, four weeks. And core exercises like uh, lifting weights in the gym or doing planks or sit-ups, you have to wait for about six weeks after your surgery. And the reason for that is... Uh, when we do keyhole surgery, although the, the incisions we make are really small, there is a risk that you can end up with a, a hernia through that small hole. And to minimize the risk of you developing those, I would advise them to, to delay core exercise for about six weeks. And after that time, go for it. And it's really important you do a combination of exercise. You need aerobic exercise to burn off energy and burn off the calories. You need to do some resistance workout, like 
weights and core exercise to maintain your bone and muscle mass. Because what people sometimes forget is with weight loss surgery, you not only lose fat, you also lose muscle, you also lose bone. And these exercises help to reinforce to your body that you know, you're not ready to lose the bone mass or muscle mass mm, yet, and, and you need muscle. to maintain those. So it does become very important to make sure that you're consistent in the exercise and the progression of those exercises as you follow on from the surgery. That's right. And and that's why when we spoke about in the previous podcast, I said it's useful if you join a, a group for a sports activity or engage a personal trainer who can help you with those uh, exercise transition. So we've spoken about routine recovery, but I think the th- the thing that would be on a lot of people's minds is what sort of complications they would expect or should expect or shouldn't expect or yeah, <laughs> all those fears, I'm sure, are part of the, the mental health as well. That That's very understandable. I mean, they're having a major procedure that is not without complications, and thankfully they are very rare, but they do happen. And uh, I was going to break it up into a few different um, Part, so you have short-term complications. So immediately after surgery, there's a risk of bleeding or infection, either internal infection or skin infections. And there's also the big complication called the leak, which uh, terrifies both patients and it surgeons. It sounds terrifying <laughs> just saying that. Yeah, the, the leak is a, a complication where uh, part of the staple line in a in a gastric sleeve or the joint that we make in a gastric bypass opens up and the contents that are within the gut escape. Gosh. And that can make patients quite unwell and septic sometimes. And they may need multiple procedures done in the following weeks. And what I mentioned about routine stay where patients stay in hospital for two or three days, they may end up staying for two or three weeks. So these are not complications that to be taken lightly, but like I said, they're they're thankfully very rare. And I imagine you'd be on it pretty quickly. That's right. And that's why we monitor the patients very closely during their stay in hospital. So they have a combination of uh, um, modalities to help us identify any of these early. So we check their observations uh, several times a day. We do blood tests daily. And in some operations like the gastric bypass, you would have a drain and that would help pick up any of these leaks early on. And other complications uh, that to be aware of are things like dumping. Uh, it sounds bad. But what, what is dumping? <laughs> <laughs> dumping is a complication that happens um, not too infrequently after a gastric bypass surgery. It can happen after a gastric sleeve, but that's pretty rare. With dumping, what happens is uh, when you have any refined food, sugar, for instance, it enters your small bowel quite quickly, and that sucks a lot of water into your gut, and you drop your blood pressure, and so you feel rotten. You have tummy cramps, you feel faint, you're sweating, and you feel terrible. And once all that sugar gets absorbed, then your body mounts a response to bring the blood sugar level down. So it produces a lot of insulin. And that insulin can sometimes overshoot and your glucose level drops more than it should. And so you have what the diabetics would call a hypo. So you become hypoglycemic. 
And as a result, the same thing happens again. You have cramps, you're sweating, and you feel terrible. Uh, and one of my patients actually rang me about a month after her bypass operation, and and she was really worried. She said, oh, Dr. Siva, I think something's gone wrong. I think I may have a leak. Uh, and I asked her, what did you have? And she said, I had some chocolate custard. Oh, no. <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah, it is real, and it does happen. And it's usually worse in the first three months. And after that, your body tends to cope and adapt, uh, and it does get better after that. I think it's kind of a, a good reminder as well that these things that we are supposedly used to yeah. aren't actually very good for us. And, and we, when we are at a most vulnerable, they, they do really attack. That's correct. So in a way, this is a, a useful complication. It uh, stops people having refined food or sugar, um, and so uh, it can be regarded as useful. In, in terms of long-term complications, they're mainly nutritional problems. So that's why the follow-up and uh, blood tests are really important so that we can identify any of these problems and address them promptly. I've heard a lot about people with excess skin as well. That's something that they become quite um, focused on sometimes and yeah. it's a concern for them. Yeah, it can impact on people's mind significantly. And the excess skin is very variable. Uh, I have a couple of patients who are very, very fortunate. They have almost no excess skin. And there are others who are really traumatized by it. How does that happen for some and not for others, for example? Um, it is a combination of their genetic makeup. Yeah, right. damn genetics. <laughs> no choice in that. And also how rapidly you lose your weight. So if you lose weight very rapidly, your body doesn't have the chance to adapt and doing those core exercises will also help tighten your muscles, tighten the skin. So you need a combination of things. You need to lose weight at a steady level and do all those exercises to help you along. And you will almost guaranteed have some degree of excess skin. But in patients who want to do something about it, uh, having plastic surgery or tummy tuck, I would strongly advise them to wait at least two or three years before they consider that. Because if you invest a lot of money in having those operations done, and now you have a, a flat stomach and a six pack, and you lose more weight, and then you're going to have a bit more excess skin and it's not going to look as, as pretty. Mm. And so you need to wait for your weight to stabilize before considering those things. So I think the thing that comes across very clearly for someone who doesn't know much about this is that, again, this is not a miracle cure. It's a progressive journey Correct. where you really need to incorporate things like exercise, diet, all the things that we should have been doing before. So the bariatric surgery really kind of sets you up or resets it to, to go back into those good um, habits, if you will. Yeah, you, you hit on the spot. So the bariatric surgery is a reset. It allows changes to hormones in your body and allows your brain to reset the body weight. And, and so the exercise and, and diet modifications you make work better. Uh, and, and that's why if you go with just diet and exercise on its own, you will have some success, but they are often short-lived and you relapse and you're back to square one. And so the exercise in conjunction with those lifestyle changes is what uh, is going to set you up for success in the long run. 
And that's what it's all about. That's the whole point about doing this is making sure that over the two, three years and, and onwards that you are living um, a quality of life now. Amazing. I'm looking forward to hearing about um, more stories from your patients as well. I think they'll be a really interesting to hear how it's happened long term for some of them. Yeah. Great. Thank you so much, Dr. Siva. Looking forward to the next episode. Thanks, Evelyn. That's it for this episode. Thank you for listening to Beyond the Knife, a bariatric surgery podcast from Perth Obesity Solutions. We hope this helped improve your understanding of weight loss surgery. For more information, visit our website on perthobesitysolutions.com.au where we have operative videos and patient information sheets that you can download. If you wish to see Dr. Siva, please call the rooms on 6313 3772 or email info at perthobesitysolutions.com.au. 